0: What's an M night.
1: M night Shyamalan, the Indian filmmaker from Philly.
0: Oh my God, this dude's a big deal. He always you know puts I mean? some like awesome twist at the end of his movies to trick the audience. Oh yeah, yeah, like like in the Sixth Sense, you find out that the dude um, in that hairpiece the whole time, that's Bruce Willis the whole movie. That's not the twist. That's
1: not the twist of that movie. That wasn't the twist. No. Hello and welcome to the M night shift podcast where we review and discuss the career of one M. Night Shyamalan. I'm your co-host AJ Gonzalez and I'm
0: Brian Connolly. I'm so excited to do this episode. All right
1: so today's episode we're gonna cover
0: two things. Yeah, We're gonna start with wayward times and then finish with the visit. And this episode is sort of the beginning of this new chapter in Shyamalan's life, so I'm excited, in his career, his filmography, and his, uh, how do you say that word? O- ouvre, oeuvre, ouvre, ouvre? <laughs> ouvre, ouvre. One I of those many French cinematic terms. Uh, and yeah, so we're, we're near the end, we're at the finish line for the most part. Um, but first, let's talk about the scotch. Every episode we have a great scotch. So this is one we haven't tried yet. This one's called Black Scott Highland Blended Scotch Whiskey. Uh, it was, according to the man at Specs, the cheapest drinkable scotch. Uh, $9.99. But you get a nice large bottle. It's got a picture of a like a building, like not quite a castle, on a high rock cliff sort of thing. Uh, and so there's a little thing uh, here about a king. There's a little story on the back before his succession to the throne of scotland dub mac Mail colium or the black of scots as he became known was elected tanist i think i say see that or heir to king idolf as tanist he was recognized for his, his fierce loyalty and victories in battle and it is at this time that he most likely determined to one day bring the ancient lands of Moray under his rule. So there you go. That's who the black scot was. Uh, it's good. It is a drinkable scotch. But as I said to AJ earlier before we were recording, what is it? Is there is there a scotch where you're like, get this away from me? Is there like is there alcohol is there any alcohol at all where you're like, Oh, I don't drink that? I don't get people like that. Like, oh, I only drink brown liquor i only drink clear liquor oh i don't drink red wine but i think which is like it's booze just
1: drink it yeah it all oh, yeah. works in the
0: same way <laughs> any of
1: your heavier liqueurs i'm oh. not really into i'll probably still drink them exactly like you're not gonna pound a thing you know a thing of kalua or you know like uh-huh. some you know I, uh, I once pounded back almost an entire bottle of Jägermeister oh. in college because I didn't know you weren't supposed to do that.
0: I've done that, and yeah, you're not supposed to do that, but it was good. It was good going down. It was but, very good. But not coming up. <laughs> no. It's, uh, it's the only night
1: where I've actually blacked out, and when I came <laughs> to, I was in the middle of vomiting.
0: <laughs> but you're like, what a delicious licorice-y uh, yeah. vomit. I love Jägermeister. It's good frozen, and I found out it's good mixed with root beer. Like that, that kind of that kind already has like a root beer type taste to it. So there you go. But yeah,
1: black scot scotch. Yeah, this one's nothing uh, fancy, but yeah, it's fine if you just want to just a scotch to you know unwind
0: or power through a Shyamalan, uh yeah. podcast <laughs> episode. All right, so um, and we're gonna do uh, let's talk about Wayward Pines first. So okay. we we thought we'd do a double up because. This episode, the the pilot episode of Wayward Pines, which is a TV series, uh, M. Knight only directed the pilot. He didn't think of the story. He didn't write it. He just was more or less a director for hire, or maybe he was interested in the subject matter, but was like, I'll direct it, but you leave the writing to someone else. So the reverse of the movie Devil, where he came up with a story but didn't direct. This one he's directed, didn't come up with a story. This is based on a series of books, uh, Wayward Pines. And uh, and oh, and it's good to say, if you haven't seen Wayward Pines, we're going to spoil it for we're you. Not, we're, going we're going to, to, to give the twist away. So if you really want to watch it, which you shouldn't,
1: we're gonna spoil the hell
0: out of it. you're going to it happens, turn yeah, this off now and wait. Halfway
1: through, halfway through season one.
0: Episode five is when the big reveal is. So if you've gone through episode five, then great. But if you haven't yet and you really want to save it, but I mean, this is the M Night, you know, podcast. We're going to spoil the heck out of everything we already have. So if you've gone this far, if you're one of the eight people still listening to this, yeah. you've learned that we're going to we're going to spoil the heck out of everything. So,
1: <clears throat> so Wayward Pines uh, aired on Fox uh, in the I think 2015 2016 TV series or TV season uh, created. By Chad Hodge, who's the principal writer, showrunner, based on the novels by uh, is it Blake Crouch. I, I think that's that? right. Yeah, uh, which, uh, it was a trilogy of novels. Uh, though the third one, like, was about to come out or hadn't come out yet when the uh, when the show when the show premiered. Hmm. Uh, Shyamalan directed the first the pilot episode. Didn't direct any other episodes, though he does get an executive producer credit on, uh, I would assume, all of the episodes. So he
0: gets a check with every you know episode, yeah. much like he gets Spielberg check.
1: did with Tiny Toon Adventures. Yeah, he, uh, he watches them, says, all right, and then gets a check the way Spielberg did with <laughs> Tiny Toons with Pinky and the Brain. <laughs> He didn't. He wasn't involved creatively with Pinky and the Brain, but he would watch them before they aired, and he watched them every night. Really, at the end of <laughs> at the end of shooting Schindler's List, and he really credits Pinky and the Brain with helping him get through. Not kill himself. Yeah, with helping him get through recreating the Holocaust in like one of the most intense ways it's ever been put on film, and then after doing that, he would watch Pinky and the Brain with his family because like oh like I'm gonna shoot this movie, this really important movie, this really depressing movie about the most horrific thing that's ever happened <laughs> in history. I'll bring my family with me and they'll like we'll all keep each other happy. But it just made all of them depressed. Except for when they it, watched like, of, like, in the, yeah. at the end of the day. That is great. I wonder like if Spielberg like
0: every day he checks the mail and he has like forty checks from everything from like batteries not included all the way through you know like Pinky in the Brain anything he's lent his name to yeah he's like oh I got another eighty eight dollars for a rerun of uh, you know Animaniacs you know it was, oh
1: thanks except thanks, guys. for <laughs> except for the Flintstones because those checks are made out to Steven Spielrock. Oh no! Which, um, which I'm sure he regrets because he can't cash them. <laughs> I
0: know he just has a pile. Like, what am I ever gonna do with these checks? <laughs> Let's do a podcast where we just talk about the movies produced by Steven Spielberg, and it's just totally meaningless because there's so many things he just puts his name on, yeah. and he has nothing to actually do with it. Like, uh, wasn't there like some? There did maybe he directed it. Wasn't there some weird CD-ROM choose your own adventure type of thing that he had something to do with? Possibly. I mean, and, like he's, he's the executive
1: yeah. producer of the very original run of Medal of Honor video games for PS1. Weird. That's so weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Anyways, back to Wayward Pine. This isn't a Spielberg uh, <laughs> podcast. Oh, and um, for you Stranger Things fans out there, the Duffer Brothers did write a few episodes of this show. Oh, that's why yeah. I didn't like this show. I didn't realize. <laughs> now I know
0: that the people who made that other awful show made this awful show. Um, so... Whose turn is it to plot, to tell the plot? Is it your turn or um, for,
1: for, It's it... unfortunately my turn, so I took no notes watching Wayward Pines, so... Uh, Go en- for it. Enjoy.
0: You don't have to be s- specific on character names, just, you know, what is this show about? So name? Wayward
1: Pines has an amazing cast, like it's too good. Uh, Matt Dillon is a Secret Service agent, not an FBI agent. The Secret Service agent who wakes up in the hospital from, uh, like, some kind of accident or a car crash. He doesn't have his cell phone or his wallet or anything. And he's in this town, Wayward Pines, Idaho. And everyone acts kind of weird. It's very idyllic. There's very few cars. But all the money is really old. It's, like, from the 90s. Yeah, just everyone acts weird. He's trying to find... uh, his former partner and another agent and he finds the other agent who has been dead for a while and like he's decomposing in a house. Uh, Juliet Lewis is a, his friend is a woman that helps him out and she knows that something's up in the Wayward Pines and that they're all like trapped there. Uh, his partner is Carla Gugino who is now living under a different name, married to some dude and running a toy store. And she just like pretends that she doesn't know what Matt Dillon is talking about, but then what she actually does know. Matt Dillon tries to escape, and he comes up against a big fence in the woods that says like, "Do not leave wayward pines; you will die," or something. And it's I think it's electrified. I don't know. They catch Juliet Lewis, and they kill her in episode two, which is too bad. Well, she
0: was like, I got a real movies to make.
1: I don't Yeah. To be um, I gave you what I could. I'm out. She's killed by Terence Howard the sheriff in this like ritual style like she's strung up and the town gathers together and the rules of the town are recited and Melissa Leo is the creepy nurse who's like really into the rules of the town like you always have to be happy and you always have to answer the phone when it rings. Um <laughs> And then you get clips from the outside, where his wife, played by Shannon Sossamon, who is that? She was in *A Night's Tale*. Uh, forty <laughs> days, forty nights. She was in a Mick Jagger music video. When? Uh, in that like early two thousands. You have a solo. Yeah, he tried in, yeah, in the he, early 2000s? He tried having a solo career and it like didn't work. It was one of those things where it's he, like his solo careers never worked when he did what was the one with
0: David Bowie dancing in the streets?
1: Oh about their oh, like about their not affair that they totally did have.
0: <laughs> He's always had a solo career it's always tanked.
1: Yeah. Except for Free Jack. That movie's great. <laughs> I remember in kindergarten, not maybe it was like first grade, but someone was telling me about the greatest movie ever. <laughs> called Robot Jocks. It is a great movie. And he made me feel really like dumb for not having seen Robot Jocks. So then <laughs> I watched what I thought was Robot Jocks. And I'm like, this movie sucks. And it was Free Jack.
0: <laughs> Why does everyone hate on Free Jack? It's got Buster Point Dexters in it. Like you have uh, Emilio Estevez travels through time because he crashes his race. It doesn't make any sense. He crashes his race car goes to like a slip in time. Wakes up in the future, Mick Jagger's like the bounty hunter trying to get him. It's, it feels kind of Total Recall-esque. And then there's that Anthony Hopkins. Sir Anthony Hopkins
1: is in that movie. I mean I did see this movie when I was Lee like Jack. six years did, old. Wait, did you ever get to watch Robot Jocks? No, I have to this day not. Oh, it's Robot so Jocks. good.
0: I I was obsessed with the Robot Jocks trailer when I was a child because they almost swear at a trailer. It was one of those great trailers where they lead up to the swear word, but then they cut. And you know, if you saw the movie, you're going to hear the swear word. So there's a part where a guy's really mad. He's like, I'm going to kick your, and then it cuts and it says robot jocks. And then I finally, for the first time ever met a celebrity in my life, which was when I was tw- uh, 20, I met Stuart Gordon. And it was like the first real wow. famous person I ever met uh, was Stuart Gordon. And I, I embarrassed myself because I only wanted to talk to him about Robot Jux. <laughs> and he didn't seem as interested in that. And I just only wanted to talk to him about the trailer where the guy almost swears. And clearly he had no memory of the trailer. He had nothing to do with the trailer and didn't give a shit. But I was like the spazzy 20 year old. like, yeah, the trailer, he almost swears. And like I only want to talk about that. Not Reanimator or anything he's actually known for. I just wanted to geek out about Robot Jux. Robot Jux is great. The plot of that movie, do you know the plot of Robot Jocks? No, it's the, is, it, is it Pacific Rim? It is, but it's better. Uh, it's the future in all wars are fought with giant robots. So if you have a beef with Russia, the big Russia robot fights the big American robot, and whoever wins that fight is the winner of that war.
1: You know that might be a. Better that's
0: win a than great. War. That's a great. That's a great plot. At least I think that's the plot. I haven't seen it since I was like seventeen, sixteen, but I seem to recall that was the plot. Of Robot Jocks. Why do we talk about Robot Jocks?
1: Because because that's how good Wayward Pines is. So her and the son, they're trying to find uh, Matt Dillon. And the son's like, he's probably with his former partner with whom he had an affair with or was possibly married to. I wasn't really paying attention to that part. Um, (laughs) But eventually they get to Wayward Pines And then they're in an accident, and they wake up in the hospital without their phones and their wallets and things. Uh, Toby Jones plays the doctor, who seems like he might be all right, but since it's Toby Jones... You know, he's not. No, he's not. (laughs) He's not. He's also American, which kind of threw me off. Um, Is he American? No, he's he's British. Are you sure? I think so. I think he's American, but he's just in British things. Or maybe, I don't know. He was in Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and that's like the most British movie Hmm. ever, except that it's made by a Norwegian man, I think. Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe Toby Jones isn't British, or is British. I always assumed he was fake British. I always thought Cary Elwes was fake British. I thought, like, that's the fakest British accent I've ever heard.
0: No, he's American, right? No, he's British. Wait, he's actually British? And that's his real voice. Hmm. He just has a tear. His
1: own accent is not good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he's born with a fake British
1: accent. Um, So they all get set up with jobs there. The Chansasmon becomes like a realtor. Matt Dillon kills Terrence Howard. Wait, why? Uh, Because they were trying to get away, and Terrence Howard's really like mean uh, and likes eating ice cream. That's a character (laughs) trait. God. So he killed yeah. Terrence Howard. Yeah, he kills. T- Wait, T- that's not in the pilot. I didn't see that. I only watched the pilot. Oh, uh, I watched episodes one through five, so I'm just powering through. Oh man, okay, so you're beyond episodes. the pilot now. Yeah. Um. Okay. The pilot. This is a show where it's like one thing happens. Like the pilot is just Matt Dillon waking up in the town, wandering around, and then something spooky happens. Like he gets knocked out, and then someone reaches for a radio and says, like subject subdued or something crazy and then the show ends and then episode two is like he wakes up from that so it's a very slow moving show time span wise
0: Mm -hmm.
1: so yeah he kills Terrence Howard because they're trying to escape and uh, there's a gate and they open up the gate to try and get out of Wayward Pines and then some weird like animals get in except they look kind of like humanish like maybe they're werewolves like oh maybe this is a werewolf thing because I love werewolves and people always, like, kind of tease that's going to be a werewolf, but then it never actually is a werewolf. And these things get in, and they drag Terrence Howard's body away. And since Matt Dillon killed Terrence Howard, he is now the sheriff, and everyone looks up to him.
0: How do they explain that? How is everyone fine with that?
1: They just are. They're just <laughs> like,
0: we're so good to have you, sheriff. Wouldn't that be cool if that's how real life worked, if you, like, kill the president? And you're like, I'm the president. I'm President Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah. And you're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs>
1: Sure. And then that brings us to the episode where his uh, kid starts going to school, which is taught by Hope Davis, which is where she's been. She's been trapped in Wayward Pines. That's where
0: Hope Davis, the actress, has been? Yeah. We
1: haven't seen her in a while? Yeah. She's been trapped in Wayward. Remember there was a time
0: where she was in everything? Yeah. And you're like, this lady's great. And then she was in nothing. The Wayward Pines. Yeah. That's the real twist. Yeah. She was in Wayward
1: Pines. She's teaching the kids, but it's a really weird school, and the class is just the boy, this girl, and another boy, and they're going to be told the truth, the title episode, the title of episode five. Which
0: I watched. I skipped episode five because I heard that's the big
1: twist reveal. Yeah. And as they're being told the truth, Matt Dillon is like, I'm going to take this map that his partner that died had made, And he goes out into the woods beyond the fence. And so there's a cut between those two things. And basically, (laughs) hey, guess what, everyone? It's not the 13th floor. It's not Dark City. It's more or less the village.
0: Wait, what's the twist of the 13th floor? I've never seen that one. You ruin it for me in the audience.
1: Well, as someone that's never seen the 13th floor... I can say that I think it's all like a computer simulation or something. Wait, so like the people aren't even real or like... I don't know. I never saw. Or maybe I'm thinking of Phantoms.
0: Well, the twist of Dark City is that they're on like a spaceship or something like that. Like like you think it's like the 50s or some weird hybrid of time and it ends up like they're just people on a Roger Ebert, four star movie. He's wrong. That movie's a one star movie. I, Ebert, look, I like it because Roger Ebert had like a love affair with Alex Proyas. Only critic to give knowing four stars.
1: That I disagree with.
0: <laughs> I agree with that. That movie's brilliant. But uh,
1: I wow. believe there really, I think there really is something to Dark City, way more than Wayward Pines. So <laughs> what happens is, like, yes, it's the village. Um, they're actually in the year. The son he gets a coin and it's like oh it's from Roman times and he scratches off the dust and the year is like twenty ninety five. That was the year the coin, but the year where this takes place is forty twenty eight. Yes, it's two thousand years in the future. Because <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna do it, go big. But wait, man. how do they end
0: up in forty twenty eight, Aj, in this town? If you're driving from Seattle to this town, how do you all of a sudden cross over this
1: I. I'm not sure. I think it's not fair to the audience because you're presenting stuff omnisciently <laughs> of like scenes of Shannon Sassaman and the boy like going to the Seattle uh, Secret Service office to you know try and find Matt Dillon. And there are scenes of people, Toby Jones talking to people, someone saying like, I want to call it off. And Toby Jones is like, it's too late. Something, very various, various nefarious. All right,
0: explain things. how these people end up in forty twenty.
1: So it's forty twenty eight, and what happened was Toby Jones uh, was this genius who was able to predict that humankind would devolve into these uh, real like monstery type creatures called ab these aberrations, if you will, which they call abbeys making them not scary. Kind of silly. <laughs> Like, Dear Abby, or Abby Normal, the joke from Young Frankenstein. (laughs) And so these Abbeys, they're like super predators, and nothing can kill them. Like, maybe you could take take out one, one one-on-one, but there's no way you could survive against a pack of them. And so humankind now has to exist in basically this preservation called Wayward Pines that uh, Toby Jones envisioned and all the people there were like selected and frozen between <laughs> like the 1990s and the early decades of the 21st century. So then they wake up and they think that they were just in an accident and that it's still the time they were in. Like Matt Dillon thought it was 2014 and Juliette Lewis thought it was 1999. And then because like the shock of like you're secretly near. 4000 would be too much. Everyone, all the adults just pretend that they're in this town except for like Melissa Leo's and Toby Jones are the only ones that know. I yeah, guess yeah. So everyone else just has to act like, "Oh, we're in this weird prison town and we all have to be happy all the time." But then the kids are told the truth cuz they're more uh plastic, I guess. And uh, you see Matt Dillon, he fights some of these uh, these Abby Normals. Yeah. <laughs> and then a helicopter shows up, and it's Toby Jones. What? Like, what? But you were from the doctor from the 1990s that predicted all this. And he's like, just get in the helicopter, and we'll explain later. And then there's Melissa Leo, and she's like, hi, I'm here too. And they get in the helicopter, and the episode ends. And that's the secret of Wayward Pines. Um, there's
0: a lot of problems with this show, not just the twist. Let's backtrack to just the pilot. Now, the reason why I never even watched this damn show, because the way it read was like, oh, that just sounds like Twin Peaks. That just seems like, okay, a secret service agent goes to a place called Wayward Pines, which is in the Pacific Northwest, and there's a mystery, and the townsfolk are strange... And I'm like, okay, I've seen that, it's called Twin Peaks, that show's great, and this show is not by David Lynch, so therefore it won't be as good. So why should I watch that? I won't watch yeah, that. So apparently exactly. we, the <laughs> author watch it. the author admits but, to
1: being inspired by Twin Peaks. And I think that like th- th- this, this twist, the craziest twist, it comes from... I think no uh, slam on the author, though. That's probably where this is going. Slam that author. (laughs) Is that it's like, oh, Twin Peaks. Oh, that's so good. I wish I could have come up with something like that. So if I write something where a federal agent, oh, no, they did FBI. Okay, I'll do Secret Service. (laughs) Goes to the Pacific Northwest, not Washington. Idaho, Idaho, a little bit
0: more to the east. And he goes to a
1: town and everything's weird. But it can't be Bob (laughs) or the the Black Lodge, right? That's the place. Yeah, it can't be that. Like, what could it be? Like, mm, remember some Twilight Zone episodes (laughs) I saw? Remember some other stuff? Like, I
0: remember the Village by the guy who's producing. You
1: know, actually, he wrote the book before the show. But uh, it feels like you came to it after that twist after because you couldn't think of anything better anything better (laughs) before it this does not feel reverse engineered no
0: i had never even heard of these books were these actually popular novels to anybody like i never heard of this this seems like something where some hollywood exec some script reader got slid the book and was like this could be a good show. This like kind of off the cuff, you know. Never heard of fantasy novel? Like, oh, okay, sure. Like, I I'd never heard of show. the books. Never heard of it. It wasn't uh, sold.
1: It wasn't sold on the the basis of being like the adaptation of these books.
0: The pilot is really boring. Like a pilot is supposed to hook you, and I was not hooked by this pilot. And like not knowing the twist, if you're just basing it on like what the pilot's giving you, which is guy goes to town. It's a little weird. Ooh, there's a fence around the town. Like they can't leave the town. That's all in the first episode, right? The fe- yep. in the first pilot, and I'm gonna in the fence? Yeah. It's just not very – there's nothing, like, unnerving or suspenseful about the pilot, especially since they keep cutting to his family wondering where he is. Like, if it really wanted to build a feeling of, like, paranoia or suspense, he would just kind of be with Matt Dillon the whole time, and he'd be with – it'd be like the show The Prisoner, which is a great show, the original Prisoner from the 60s. Where you're just like, you're in this strange place. You want to get out of the strange place. And then you keep getting brought back to the strange place. And you're just kind of with the character all the time. And you're starting to be driven crazy for the fact that nobody's helping you. And things are getting weirder and weirder. But if you keep cutting to this family in Seattle being like, where's my husband? I don't know. And like the people in his work being like, I don't know. It's like It just cuts that, ruins that suspense. Like Lost, which ended up being a terrible show, but started as a great show. Like the first. You know, like it has those cuts to the past. like It kind of plays a time. But am I correct that the pilot just kind of stays with people on the island or does that actually go to the past of people's lives?
1: I never saw Lost. I don't
0: remember. But, I mean, that one, is, it, it's like there's a mystery unraveling and the past is kind of showing you who these people were so you know that, like, okay, here's the story going on of them on this island. Where is this? And then you have the story of, like, who they were. But, it's, but this the pilot is portrayed as if it's all happening in the same time. Yeah. It's hiding the fact that it's, like, one's in the year 4000 and one's in the year 2015. Yeah, I mean... And so you're just kind of like, why do I keep wondering about his son looking at his phone and wondering where his dad is? Like, this is cutting that kind of sense of being trapped and kind of trapped in a place because I'm hanging out with these other people.
1: Yeah, and I didn't watch past episode five, so it's possible that, like, all those scenes of... Uh, Shan saw someone the kid looking for Matt Dillon were like scenes from that time, like after he was snatched and frozen, yeah. presumably, and they were looking for him. Uh, but it made it, the show made it seem more like this is happening concurrently. So there's no reason to think that one is in the year 4,000.
0: And also Matt Dillon that plays it so, like, calm and cool.
1: Like, he's and very like, calm.
0: There's never a point – like, you never get that kind of, like – the great thing about, like, the best episodes of Twilight Zone is you slowly see someone, like, lose their mind, where it's like nobody's believing Wayne Shatner, that there's something on the wing of the plane, and so he starts to get louder and crazier, and, like, he's losing his mind. And this is the whole time Matt Dillon's like, oh, weird, oh, okay. And there's never a point where he's just sort of, like – he, you know, it's like when you watch Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and like they're they, they, like they're getting the people who don't know what's going on are just getting driven mad by the fact that everyone around them is like not reacting the way they should. Which is what happens in the pilot is in terms of how people are reacting to him. But he the whole time is kind of be like, "Oh, that's weird. i will go try something else, I guess." And there's never like that. You never feel like he's in danger exactly. You know, something weird is going on, but because he never seems too upset by it. As an audience, you're not too upset by it. You're just like, yeah. oh, okay, like, maybe he'll try to get through this part. Okay, he'll try something else, and he's going to keep going. And so there's never this feeling of like, oh, my God, this poor man is trapped in this place. How does he get out of here? Yeah,
1: and the show really feels like it was just grasping at a million different things to like either just steal from or to like get legit inspiration from like everyone has to be real happy in this town and they're all pretending to be happy. So it's like the episode, the twilight zone, uh, it's a good life. Mm -hmm. And they, uh, but it's people that wake up and they have no memory of their past lives and they can't get out of this uh, place they're trapped in. So it's like, uh, five characters in search of an exit. Also a twilight zone episode. (laughs) It's like, Oh, but there's this weird, uh, giant fence in this underground facility with like vehicles moving in and out and there's a giant door called Wayward Pines and something goes in through there so it feels kind of like Cube or that uh, stupid uh, cabin in the woods which I don't think is good or clever at all. (laughs) I think Stay Tuned is a much better (laughs) much better film with uh, nearly the exact same premise. (laughs) Yeah, Cube, and then of course twi- uh, Twin Peaks because of the government investigation and everything just seems kind of off. Wants to be a bit like The X Files, and then it maybe wants to be like a, a monster show, which I guess it probably ended up being.
0: It should have been a movie, not a TV show. I think it could have done away a little more, maybe if it was just
1: like a two hour movie.
0: Um, and if they had someone like M.S. Shyamalan directing on movie, that could have been a lot better. Yeah, and I figure
1: um, you get Shyamalan because, I mean, on a very bland, basic level, like, oh, he directed The Village. This has the same twist, pretty much. The people think they're in one time. Really, they're in another time. And everyone acts weird and they live in the woods. So let's get that guy, because you know it's kind of a horror thriller show. Village is sort of a horror thriller movie, and it has this uh, really obvious twist. It's like the way when oh no, who who are we going to replace? Uh, who are we going to replace Conan with? Who are we going to get to sit behind a desk and tell jokes? I know the guy that did Weekend Update. Well, who are we going to get to replace him with now when he gets a Tonight Show? The Um, other guy did weekend. The other guy that did weekend update. (laughs) Like you're, you legitimately aren't trying.
0: There's a few problems with Toby Jones's plan that I have. Which is, if you knew this thing was coming, and you had the money and resources to trick and freeze like hundreds of people, why wouldn't you use that instead to try to cure? This thing that's going to make everyone turn into these, like, mutant things. That's the one problem I have. And then the other problem I have is how do you secretly freeze and hide hundreds of people where no one can ever find them, ever, in thousands of years? Like, literally thousands of years. Like, we're able to, you know, find things that have been around for a few years. Like, I think someone would stumble upon this at some point. And then it's just like, why do you even need to trick people? Couldn't you find, like, the smartest, best, brightest people and be like, hey, here's what's going on. Look, I'm going to freeze you. You're going to wake up 2,000 years, but it's going to feel like this. It's fine. And those people would wake up, and they would be fine, this year, 4,000. There wouldn't be this weird trick. You wouldn't have to have all this stuff going on. I just don't understand that part of the twist of this show. Like, it doesn't make any sense to
1: me. I don't, and I mean, you know, who knows, maybe it was explained in the second half of the show, but I imagine it probably wasn't satisfying.
0: Also, really, like, the military couldn't take machine guns and just kill these mutant things? Like, you're just like, oh, these idiots are taking over the world. Were, I guess reflect like, at the end. They were like, really fast, I guess. They were
1: really fast. And <laughs> also, if, like, you're doing this to preserve humankind... Then why, when someone steps out of line, like they're murdered? They're murdered. It's like you have these weird
0: rules. You have this weird power trip thing. It's it just the whole thing with so many holes. It doesn't make any sense. Like, why wouldn't you make it not just a little place in the woods? Why don't you have it be in the city, in like a skyscraper where you're really protected, like a huge fortress where you're truly protected from the things? I was like, why do you even need the facade that we're
1: like we're in this cute, quaint. Like, little community in the woods. It's just like, it doesn't make any sense. Because people couldn't handle it, man. They have to be, they have to pretend. We have to
0: pretend. And the kids can handle it, but the grown ups can't. Like, I don't understand what that is about. Because it's like, I think grown ups could definitely handle it because they have more experience, whereas kids, you know, it just doesn't make sense that that's a thing. Like, that doesn't work. And also, the episode five where they reveal that. That is the longest exposition that I've ever seen in an episode of a TV show ever. It is Hope That Davis, is like 40 straight minutes It's Hope is
1: just telling you
0: this. It's crazy. She's just telling them <laughs> this. For like literally the whole episode. Yeah. Like you get cutaways to Matt Dillon like walking around and be like, ooh, something's in the woods. But it's mostly just her talking to people – and they don't even give you clips of like it going down, right?
1: No. Like you they think
0: don't. like, oh, maybe they're gonna show him taking the people and hiding them in this secret, you know, cryo chamber in a mountain or whatever we can like freeze three hundred something people. And then you have to also trick them into thinking they're in an accident. Like, it's so elaborate and unnecessary. Where you could just be like, hey, fellow scientists, we're gonna freeze ourselves. We're the smart people. We'll, you know, make sure it's half women and men so we can breed and continue the race and we'll... And then how do you know when to wake up? And how does the first guy wake up? Like how did Toby Jones know to like send his so he gets out in two thousand years? Also in two thousand years there's like earthquakes and fires and yeah. who knows what. So it's like really you're just gonna be untouched somewhere secretly for that long? I just the whole thing has so many holes yeah. in it. It's it's a terrible TV show. Don't ever watch it. Like nobody so, out there should ever watch this show. I think
1: maybe the pitch was the showrunners were like, hey night you know how you made a movie that where it takes place on earth a thousand years in the future how about you make a show where it takes place on earth two thousand years was earth future? ad one thousand years in the future yeah uh <laughs> yeah after earth or after earth i mean yes yeah, yeah it was a thousand years in the future two thousand yeah, yeah. Oh.
0: <laughs> and then why didn't the de evolve? people
1: Then start evolving in those 2000s? Well how did they not starve to death If all they do is run around and murder anything that moves Well that's like animals You know
0: <laughs> I don't know and The whole thing is so stupid And, I, and it, what's crazy is the show had a second season What the heck is the second season so, about So
1: uh, I briefly yeah. skimmed. Jason Patrick said it So in the, at the end of the first season I skimmed on like the slates, you know, Wayward Pines wrap up or something. That at the end of the season, um, like Matt Dylan, Matt Dylan like sacrifices uh, sacrifices himself and gets killed by a bunch of Abbeys to protect his family. And his son becomes like a vigilante. And then it flashes forward it to the future where his son is now Jason Patrick, leading a like resistance fight against the the tyranny of uh, the the Toby Jones (laughs) government. And that's what season two is. How dumb.
0: That doesn't sound compelling at all.
1: Well, that sounds like, how did you get all these, how did you get Matt Dillon and Toby Jones and Melissa Leo and Terrence Howard to commit to a show? Like, you got them for one season.
0: And in season two, you settle with Jason Patrick. (laughs) 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 You slum it. like I guess we're at the Jason... You've gone from speed to speed, too. Good job. (laughs) All right, good. All right, well, uh, I really think there's nothing else to talk about the show. I mean, other than, like... So M. Night directed the pilot. It is wholly unremarkable, and there's really nothing that makes you tell that he directed it at all. Like, there's not a lot of his stylistic touches. Like, it's it's uh, a TV show, so it doesn't have, like... The really nice, beautiful cinematography that his movies can have, or the even the music, or the shots, or the things that he like brings. Yeah, because all his movies, even the worst ones, he still puts a lot of thought in. Like he storyboards everything. He like really thinks about it. He has his team of people like really adding what they can to it. And this show doesn't have it's lacking in all those departments because it's just a crappy TV show that clearly has not even like a third of the budget of even the most lowest budgeted. You know, M. Night movie. And so it is like he is just kind of there, but it doesn't really have that feel. Like it doesn't feel like he had anything to do with it.
1: Yeah, unless it's uh, your show is on like cable, like Mm -hmm. HBO or Showtime, where you give David Lynch a Twin Peaks show on Showtime. And yeah, that's going to be different from everything else. And you're like, free
0: reign, do whatever you want, you know, go crazy.
1: But this is like uh, when, like, oh, Quentin Tarantino directed an episode of ER. I've got to watch that, and you you couldn't tell which episode he directed.
0: Uh, um, yeah, his CSI episode is much better. If you ever watched the CSI
1: episode, I haven't
0: it's it. a two part, and that does feel like a Tarantino thing. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, for no reason at all, like wayne peterson's playing like the roy rogers board game and everyone's talking about hamburgers and
1: you're like wait a minute like this is not like the other episodes of csi or um even like david fincher like oh david fincher is directing the pilot of house of cards and i mean there's nothing really extraordinary about it it Mm -hmm. doesn't real feel very Finchery.
0: And it only only works if the person is like David Lynch, where they are writing it and they it's like their idea and it's like very much their thing and it's just for TV and that's really the only way you're gonna get like their vision through because like if you're just like Tarantino walking on the set you E.R., everything is already set up for you. Like the mythology has already been planned out for years. Or In that one, it was the end of the first year, I think. Yeah. But like <clears throat> you're not gonna be able to add too many floors. It's much like when these. Big directors get a Star Wars, and you're like, oh, man, someone says, you doing Star Wars, like, well, but hold on. They're not going to be able to really do anything because you have to answer to, like, a room full of, like, 60 people who are like, this is what Star Wars is. You're not going to be able to add your crazy flares too much to it. You have to kind of stay within the parameters of what is set up, even if it's the pilot. Like, this is a show based on three books. They already, like, have this whole thing figured out. I don't think M 9 is in the writer's room being like, here's the vision of the whole show, here's the thing. That would have been a more interesting show. But this one he really is just kinda of like, oh, okay, I'll direct your show. Like that's what it feels like to me. Like maybe he had more involvement than I than is advertised. I mean he's listed as an executive producer, but that just means you know, nothing. Yeah. You lent your name, you made people be like, ooh, M Night Shanla has something to do with that. I'm gonna go watch that, I guess, and you get your check. Um But uh, that's it. The show sucks. It's really bad. It was hard for me to even get through the first episode of that. It was just really rough.
1: I was uh, recovering from a stomach ailment. Uh, So I just watched Powered Through episodes one through five. Are you compelled to watch more? No. (laughs) I mean, after that twist... I mean, if that's not your season finale... Yeah, why uh, did they
0: wait? Why do they do it so early? Like, why did they wait? Oh, cause, cause, that's what Twin Peaks did. David Lynch didn't want to do that. Yeah, and he left to make Wild and Heart, and oh, then he regrets. Shit, then he regrets that. it. Then he regrets that. <laughs> yeah. And then he came back, and then it got better again. So it's just like that's you know that's what happens. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like he wanted the mystery of who killed Laura Palmer to never be solved. I think he always yeah. wanted to be, you know, a mystery. Which is what he likes. He likes to give you mysteries and never answer them. If, if you've seen Mulholland Drive or Lost Highway, that's what he likes to do. He doesn't want you to have a finite, like, this is what it means thing. That's not his thing. In the show, you know, fifth episode, here's your insane stupid twist. I couldn't imagine anyone watching this show and being like, oh, okay, I'm going to keep watching it after that. And I don't think anyone did because, like, I don't know anyone who watched the second season. It's not even on DVD or anything. It's like nobody cares. And then it was canceled quietly. Like, it wasn't even, like, it wasn't much fanfare. Nobody fought. Be like, we must have the third season. It's the third book. Like, it just didn't, it was just kind of, like, over. And I'm like, okay, it's done now. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. But this was the beginning, though, of M. Night kind of getting away from his big, huge, bloated movies that he didn't do so well with and back to more smaller sort of horror-based, like, this show starts out as, like, kind of a horror-type show. It turns into insane sci-fi, I guess. But then you have the monster things like horror, which then leads to The Visit, which is his true comeback uh, movie, and everyone hoped it was going to be that. It was advertised as such, and it really was, because the movie is a huge – was a huge hit, but it's because it was a low-budget movie made for Blumhouse – uh, which is also our next episode, Split, was also low, lower budget movie made for Blumhouse. And Blumhouse is really good at making these small movies that are based on like a really strong idea. And then those movies make a trillion dollars because they only spent like $10 million on it. And so The Visit, uh, so I will I will summarize it for you. It's very easy. It's very simple. And by the way, uh, side note, AJ and I saw this in the theater together when it came out. Because yep. we knew, this is before we even had a podcast, we knew... We are Shyamalan buddies. Uh, so the visit; these two kids, uh, one of which the daughter is making a documentary. So this is a found footage movie. It's told from the point of view of her movie, supposedly edited already. Like we're watching the finished product of the movie. I'm guessing that it doesn't that like, right. Like what, it's just a, that's what sort of
1: have to assume about every, every found, found footage, footage movie, movie, which is one of the things I hate.
0: If someone took and edited them together and was like, I'm going to edit the movie this way. So like the Blair Witch Project, they're like, we're going to end the movie with the guy staring in the corner of the basement. And we're not going to give you an answer to what happened. That's There's your movie.
1: It presumes that someone found this footage and then edited, edited it together in such a way so as to follow dramatic structure, to follow the uh, – the uh, big be- uh, beginning, middle, climax, denouement, and then also did it in a way to build character and build suspense, suspense and <laughs> false suspense. Like, oh, it was just a cat. Like, oh, is this? But then also left in a bunch of really boring scenes. The only the only
0: film footage movie that I feel comes feels close to a not edited one is uh, the Bobcat Goldthwait, The Willow Creek did you watch Willow Creek? Uh, I have. Because that one has really long scenes. There's a, there's a there's a shot that goes on for, I think, like 20 minutes, like 15 minutes, where it's just them in the tent listening to sounds and wondering what it is. And that, to me, feels more like, okay, like they found this tape, but there's people turn the camera on whenever something happened, and here's the movie. And that one sort of works. It still is clearly edited and thought out because it's a movie. But, I, yeah, there's, I don't think there's an, a found footage movie where it really is just like, here's the weird footage they shot. It doesn't mean anything, And but instead it's edited together. So here's the movie that I read as this was edited. The, the girl finished the movie and said, here's the movie that we have. Uh, so that her and her brother are talking to their mom, and they are invited to come stay with their grandparents. And the, the grandparents have been estranged from their mother. For many years because of something that happened in the past that the mom does not really want to talk about, and the grandparents found her on Facebook and was like, Please let us see our grandchildren. So the two kids take a train out to you know, middle of nowhere, you know, Philadelphia or Pennsylvania. I mean, we're back to M. Night, Pennsylvania, which is great, and they the grandparents pick them up and they go stay with the grandparents. And the grandparents are just like grandparents think they're they're they are they are they are kind of a little odd and they're a little out of touch and they're making like some little meal together. But then in the middle of the night, the grandmother is like walking around and like making all these weird sounds and like hitting her head against the wall and the kids are like, Well, that's weird. And then during the day the grandfather kind of like runs into this barn and is just like mysterious and then Slowly, the grandparents are like they're showing that they're, they're a little weirder. Like they're playing. The kids are playing this game where they're running around underneath the house and chasing each other. And then the grandmother like shows up down there, and for some reason scares the kids, even though it's clearly their grandmother and they're freaked out by it. And then she's like not wearing underwear, and her dress is ripped. And then every night she still like has this weird thing where she like making sounds and hit her head against the wall and wearing less and less clothes. And the grandfather. Uh, keeps dressing up in a tux thinking he's going to like a fancy party somewhere and then he thinks that, that people are watching him like when they go into town he thinks like oh that guy's watching me and he goes to beat up the guy and they're like grandpa what's going on and then he kind of alludes to this weird white ghost type thing that he saw on his job that no one believed him. And they're just getting weirder and weirder. And the kids ask each other, each grandparent like, Hey, what's going on? What's going on? Grandpa. And they each sort of cover for each other and be like, Oh, she has this weird night, you know, this like kind of early onset of Alzheimer's where at Sundown, night we're at, which is a real thing where at night, you know, people with Alzheimer's get a little more flustered and confused in the evenings by the end of the day and then the grand and the, and she's just like oh grandfather's ashamed of like being an old man and you know he's got you know he uses depends and he, he hides the depends in this barn and he's a little older so he's a little delusional and they're both kind of like oh yeah that's why the other one's weird and then So then it gets weird. They get weirder and weirder to the point where the kids are like, we don't want to stay with these people anymore. These people are weird. They're really emotional. They're really kind of like all over the place. And so uh, they they show the mom, the grandparents who are kind of like off afar, be like, oh, there's grandma and grandfather, like via Skype, basically. I think it's like it's not – said Skype, but, you know, whatever Skype is in this movie's universe. Scoop. Scoop. And then the mom is like, who are those people? Those aren't your grandparents. And that's when the audience is like, what? And then you find out that they're crazy people. And that the grandparents had volunteered working at this, like, psychiatric ward or mental institution. And these were their patients. One of the patients that they interacted with, like, you know, and those patients killed, like, escaped and killed them in their home and assumed their identities and wanted to hang out with their grandchildren, you know, because they, you know, they knew they were getting crazier and wanted to have a less thrill of hanging out with some type of kids or something. And that's the twist. And then the mom comes with cops and saves the kids after the kids, you know, like murder and, you know, murder their great, their fake grandparents. And that's the movie. And why is it a found footage movie? I don't know. It's just it, it is because those are popular. It's um, super cheap. It's cheap because you, don't, you can just like you know you don't you know you don't need Christopher Doyle for that. You just have like some guy bouncing the camera around, and uh, great, that's your movie. That's the plot of the movie. Um, <clears throat> this movie was a huge hit. Like it was very popular. It clearly cost nothing and made a lot of money, and was advertised as, like, this is his comeback. He is back. Like, he's making a scary movie, crazy twist movie again. So what are you... (laughs) I did not like this movie the first time. I liked it even less the second
1: time. I didn't like it the first time. And the second time, I became very bored and started uh, looking at... Uh, The books on my bookcases, which are on (laughs) either side of the TV (laughs) and planning out what I'm going to try to read uh, before I have kids and then I can't ever read books again.
0: The problem with film footage movies is most of them are boring because for them to recreate what they think is reality is, is boring. It's just sort of like, and look at these people dicking around in this room. And like, really, like the only one that really is not born is Wreck. Like the original Wreck movie is so scary and so intense, and it builds and builds. And there's not you don't have like oh, people like dicking around the camera and just like hanging out. Because most found footage movies are shot by like teenagers or kids or like some idiots, you know. And whereas Wreck is like a news crew, you know. Yeah, that's I haven't uh,
1: seen I haven't seen Wreck, but I have seen Quarantine, and it's the only uh, so I'm speaking about Quarantine,
0: which is also not bad. But Obviously. that's the only
1: found footage movie that I actually kind of like. And it's the only one where it makes sense why they don't put the camera down and run the hell away. Because they're a news crew. Because they're a news crew. They, their job is to, to capture, capture crazy this stuff. footage. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that one is good and scary. And the uh, artifice of POV found footage works very well to that premise. To this one... And to all the other ones, not so much. What
0: also doesn't work with this movie and most fan footage movies is the acting is always terrible because they're it's actors pretending to act like they're normal people, but because they're actors, it doesn't feel normal at all. So like in this one, right away when they're on the they're on the train and they're interacting with like the tic, the ticket taker guy, and he starts being like, Ooh, I'm in a movie? I'm gonna start doing Shakespeare for you. And he's clearly an actor doing the scene. Even before he does Shakespeare, scene, everyone's just acting like oh, I'm in a movie. I'm acting. Oh wait, but I'm a normal person. Oh, I'm going to pretend to be normal, and it never feels natural. It's just like it all feels like actors just in a movie where the camera's shaken. Uh, the 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 idea of of like these kids having to just force their camera. Through every moment of hanging out with their grandparents, which is like drive any grandparent insane, even the ones that were already insane. Like, these kids come off as just so intrusive and rude because it's like they're going to record every meal they have, every <laughs> interaction they have. Because this is just the footage that made it in the finished, you know, 80 90 minute movie. Because, like, normally, if you make any movie, including a documentary, you're going to shoot hundreds of hours of footage, which means these kids have the camera on all the time. So they're not really hanging out with their grandparents yeah, in the way that they can you, should.
1: Can you imagine how much footage uh, uh What's his name? Steve James cut from Oop Games. This takes place over the course of four years. And it's somehow only three hours long.
0: Yeah, this movie takes place lot. over the course of like a week. Maybe a week and a half. And it's just like these kids are just... They come off as rude. Not only are they intrusive with their camera... But they make fun of their grandparents' like problems and their Alzheimer's type problems. And I was I thought it was really rude that uh, first day the boy just sits on the counter of the kitchen. Like who would ever do that at their grandparents' house? Be like I'm going to sit on the kitchen counter of my well, grandparents' house? No way would any child actually do that. That is well, so he's rude. This, uh,
1: you know he's this uh, like rambunctious, sassy boy who uh, raps <laughs> and who. Uh, The one thing I did like about him was uh, instead of swearing, he's decided he's going to say the names of female singers.
0: Well, that's just to keep the movie to a PG-13
1: rating. Yeah. (laughs) So he trips and says,
0: Sarah McLachlan. And he also conveniently has uh, a problem of freezing when things are upsetting to him, which he talks about early on in the movie. And you wonder, gee, is that going to – play later on in the film that when something
1: upsets him, he can't move and he freezes. He just has to stay there when in Uh, all horror movies you wonder, why isn't that person running away?
0: Because he has a reason. He has a fear that freezes him. And on top of that, he's also a germaphobe. So luckily there's a moment
1: in the movie where he freezes and has to deal with germs. So here's the thing (laughs) about that scene. So in the scene when it's like the final night and the grandparents are going full psycho crazy and the grandpa is there, and he, the grandpa, like, takes off his diaper. And then because the boy has germs, he says, like, oh, you have a thing about germs, don't you? And But he can't move because he's frozen oh, with fear. his fear yeah. of frozenness. Yeah. And the grandpa uh, smushes the shit diaper in the boy's <laughs> face, which is like, oh, no, he has a fear of germs. Like, that must be so bad for him. That would be awful for anybody. If you did not have a fear of germs, that would be, I don't know, maybe one of the worst things that could
0: happen. The thing is, that if you had a fear of germs, you avoid germs. So that you would jump out of the way if someone's putting a diaper in your face. Like, people that are afraid of germs wash their hands a million times because they think they're dirty. And they purposely, like, get a napkin to, or a tissue to open up the bathroom door because they don't want to touch it. There's no way that person would stand there and let a diaper... A soiled diaper be shoved in their face, which I think like, of all the diapers have in this movie too is too is too crude. I think it's gross. I think it's, it's rude.
1: Well, this, and this movie bends like, in, it bends into a lot of like old people stereotypes that just kind of aren't nice. Um, <laughs> but just whenever the grandparents are acting weird, like way way before the twist, when you way before you think before the kids think, oh something's up. It's like, oh, like, they're old, you know. Like, like, they're just old, you know. Old people, they get incontinence, you know, like, they get confused. They're old, they get confused. And it's like, yeah, not all old people. I mean, sure, it happens. But there's plenty of old people that uh, have full use of their mental faculties. Or are at least aware enough to be like, oh, uh, you know, I sometimes forget things or, oh, you'll have to excuse me. I I have some <laughs> comments to deal with or something. But yeah, the, the diaper stuff was, it seemed easy, easy to go to. And like, oh, grandpa thinks he has to go to some kind of costume party. Uh, well, you know how old people are. And then
0: it, I think, it crosses a line with mental illness too, which it, it also kind of does with split in the next episode. It's like I don't think you can make fun of that anymore or use that as like a oh these terrifying people they're crazy. It just like comes off as kind of sad. You're watching this movie and you're like well, yeah, oh these people have a mental illness because these people are like, horrible.
1: Mental illness. These people are not. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, they're murderers not that they murdered the real grandparents um and the woman at least murdered her own children i think uh which is what got her in the institution but she like the point is the murder comes from their mental illness you know so like the root problem here is mental health yeah and all their behavior stems from mental health and then when you think about like oh like the the villains the evil Villains of your movie are just people that, through no fault of their own, have no uh, control over their own minds and what their own minds tell them is real or not or what's happening or not. That just kind of doesn't – it doesn't sit well when you really think about it.
0: And also it's like their mental illness doesn't make any sense in this movie where it's like they're delusional and they have OCD. And they're psychopaths, and they're suicidal, <laughs> and like they're animalistic, and then there's, there's, there's like there's no actual like doesn't feel like it's based on any actual mental illness. It's just a hodgepodge of like, and this why these people are fucking crazy, and they look how insane and wild they're like. She doesn't know to wear pants, and she also like likes to stare at the window and laugh. And he, you know, thinks voices are talking to him, and he's like got this weird issue with his diapers. And he murders people, and it's just sort of like it's too much. And like, I think a movie can get away with, oh, he's a crazy murderer. And you're like, okay, he's a crazy murderer. He's a psychopath. Like, okay, yeah, it's not like. But then, like, movie. when you're adding all these other layers to it, you're just like, oh, and they're supposed to abandon the mental illusion. You're like, wait, well, what's wrong with these people? And then also, they're kind of selective when they're crazy. And no, they, crazy. they are very selective. It's, it's like, very is selective. someone who's really insane going to be like, well, I will only be insane at night? And then the fact that they cover for each other, so they have the ability to be sane enough to be like, that's what this other person's problem is, and I will cover for them. But I can't figure out my own crazy shit. Like, that seemed a little far-fetched and weird. Um, or they could be normal for most of the day, but then at certain times they won't be in I feel Like, if they're this far gone, would they just be weird all the time? Or, like, could they really pretend? Can they really choose to hide it? Like it's not just a, it's not just one thing. It's not like oh I have I'm Howard Hughes and I have OCD and I'm hiding this right now from the people I'm working with and my girlfriend and but it keeps coming out and it eventually builds to the point where I can't hide it anymore. But like with this one, it really is just like they're normal and then every day at seven o'clock they're not normal and then he's normal except for this one moment and then he's totally fine for most of the day. I just feel like that didn't work for me. Like this felt like too far fetched that they could do that. That they could even pretend to be normal people for even yeah. a day. They never seem evil, and that's why it's really sad to me. When because they get murdered, <laughs> because you're like, oh, these people, like, they never seem like they're, it's not like Michael Myers, where he's just, like, a cult, you yeah, yeah, the like, emotional killer, and he's not like Hannibal Lecter. It's not like, you know, uh, it's just, like, They're just like, they seem like normal people, and then they're weird, and so it's kind of sad when you see one of them get stabbed to death or his head being yeah. in the
1: refrigerator door. It's, eh. it's like, um, uh, so Rutger Hauer and The Hitcher is, I think, one of the great A horror, terrifying He's one of the character. great horror movie villains. Maybe the great horror villain. And there was stuff in the script explaining the history of The Hitcher and why he's like this and what happened to him in his past that turned him into this, like, you know, murderous uh, hitchhiking psycho, mm-hmm. and Rutger Howard thought all of that made the character really sad and made mm-hmm. it depressing. He said, "Because that's real life. In real <laughs> life, horrible things are done to people that warp them, like irrevocably. Yeah, and turn them into you know people that can't function in society and that just like have to take out their rage on other people he said i want to be the shark from jaws just want to be this evil malevolent thing that's just chasing after c thomas howell <laughs> for no other reason than that he appears to exist to just pursue c thomas and he howell. loves
0: it and it's fun to him yeah to be to treat this guy to make this guy's life boring and, th- and the same thing with michael myers it's like in the original halloween it's terrifying you really don't know why he's killing people, you don't know no, he's crazy. He you just don't, is. All the stuff about He just him. like and maybe he's pure evil from hell, like like Donald Pleasant's character says he is, or maybe there's an actual problem, but you don't know, and that mystery is what makes him terrifying.
1: Yeah, all the stuff about the family and Lori's his like sister, that comes in the sequels mm-hmm. in the movie. There's no relation between them at all. It's just this guy in a mask shows up and just starts trying to kill this girl.
0: Yeah, and that's terrifying. And in this movie, this movie is also never scary once. Like, there's not any part of this movie that is scary to me. It's just sort of like, oh, that's weird. And then, oh, that's kind of sad. There, <laughs> there
1: are some pop-up scares. There are some easy, just boo, uh, grandma pops up in front of the camera at night scares, which is a, uh, a, a trope, an obligation, you will, of found footage movies.
0: And I feel like this movie doesn't really speak to the strengths of Shyamalan, even though he wrote directed this. But, like, what makes his other movies so compelling and good is you really get involved with the characters, and you really, like, you feel a lot. You feel a lot for <clears throat> the characters in his movies, and then that the kind of you, know, you go, like, you like Brizzy Willis in the sixth sense, and then when you find out that he's, like, dead, it gives you a lot of emotion and feeling. And it's also kind of chilling at the same time. Or same thing with like even something like signs. Like you really like Mel Gibson and his family, and so when they're dealing with all these crazy things, like you're kind of emotionally wrapped in. And especially in Unbreakable, you're very emotionally wrapped up into like Bruce Willis's journey figuring out and becoming a superhero. And in this one, you're never really emotionally connected to anybody at all. And there's not really these these human moments which make the other great M. Night stuff so good is that he has like this great humanity to his films that this movie is lacking 100%. There's no humanity in this movie at all. Like If it was, a, if it was just a movie made by Shyamalan 15 years ago, he would have a lot of sympathy for the grand, these fake grandparents, and there would be it'd be more complex and more interesting. And in this one, it isn't. It's just kind of done as a gag. It's like, they're crazy! They're not your grandparents! It's like, kill them! And then the movie's over, <laughs> and you don't feel anything. There's no emotion going on ever. And They try it with the mom, with her being like her memory of this horrible moment that happened with her parents where they didn't talk to each other for 18 years. But it doesn't resonate because it's just kind of wrapped up in this sort of like silly movie. That
1: um, Yeah, so uh, the mom is played by Katherine Hahn. Uh, who you would recognize from bad moms she's the the really bad crazy mom <laughs> the fun one <laughs> she at the very end like tells like the story about the day when uh, she left home forever and why it was so bad that she couldn't go back like she hit her mom and then her dad hit her and they all like st- stood around and looked at each other ashamed and so then she left um, but it comes at the very end and it feels like... The it feels like the very tacked on end of Psycho, where the psychiatrist explains everything. Like, oh yeah, I I guess I should figure I, I should tell you guys like <laughs> so what what happens. The whole reason <laughs> we all had to deal with this thing. And I like that scene in Psycho. This I think is a uh,
0: well, Psycho it's funny. Yeah,
1: you know. <laughs> and um, in this one it doesn't work because it's trying. It's not just uh. An expository note to conclude the movie it's trying to be this big like powerful emotional scene with uh, the mom who we've only had maybe three or four scenes of in the movie yeah and i mean katherine is fine playing a a rather non-comedic role i mean you know she seems like a fun mom Mm -hmm. but um yeah she's just playing a mom (laughs) <laughs> um, there are, I think, some glimpses of humanity where I start to g- actually get interested in these characters during the interview scenes. There seems to be, like, hints of humanity because then, you know, characters trying to, like, open up. we talk about,
0: like, how they missed their dad who divorced the mom and left them at a younger age. Yeah, and when they
1: interview the grandparents, um, when the girl, Becca, interviews... The grandmother and the grandmother tells the story about the things that live down in the pond, and you can like put people in there, and they won't drown, and they'll get taken to another planet. And so you have to assume that that's what she did with her own kids. Maybe, maybe. I don't See, I never
0: got that she killed her kids. I never picked up on that. If that's there, that's so subtle that I never even. I didn't. Right, I've got to I it confused it. me about when she and whenever she interviews the mom, is whenever they ask about the mom that like, like she starts getting like about the daughter that left, she gets really upset. So I'm assuming that must be alluding to her killing her kids because it doesn't make sense that she'd be that upset about their mom because she has no idea who their mom is and that's not actually yeah. part of the relationship. So that seemed a little weird. To have in the movie that she'd get mad every time they talked about the mom, mm-hmm. so unless that means it's about whatever went on with her life, that they're not completely. And yeah, it's not
1: it's not explicit like that is me, like connecting the dots a lot on my on my own. The other scene where I feel like humanity does come through is my favorite scene in the movie, and I think it's the best scene in the whole movie, is when the boy whatever his name is. I forgot to write it down. (laughs) Interviews the girl, Becca. So she's been interviewing people, but now it's her turn, her turn to get interviewed. And Mm -hmm. she's written up the list of questions that he's to ask her. And he goes off book right away and just starts asking her like hard questions. Mm -hmm. Like, so why don't you look at yourself in the mirror anymore? Like what? Like when you get dressed in the morning, you're always looking down. You never look at yourself in the mirror. Your sweater's on inside out. Did you even know that? And she gets, she's caught, like, really off guard and, like, hey, like, stick to the the questions, to the answers. Stick to the questions on on the paper. But he doesn't. He really, like, asks her serious questions about herself at this point in her life. And as he's doing that, he slowly zooms the camera in off center. <laughs> so she's, like, in the center of the frame but the zoom is off-center, so then, like, right over her shoulder, that now becomes the center of the frame, and her face is just off in the corner, and I thought that was the most interesting camera move. I thought it was the most interesting and emotional scene in the movie, and to me, it felt like something that could have been out of, like, a French New Wave movie. Like, that could have been in, you know, an early Truffaut movie or an early Godard movie. The most interesting camera work in a found footage movie, which, of course, by the premise, cannot have any interesting camera work <laughs> in the
0: movie. Another part that I thought was worried about the movie was that it seemed like nobody cared that two insanely violent mental patients escaped from an insane asylum It wasn't done like, it was an emergency. and it <laughs> Was there <laughs> well, ever... Like, the direct the, 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 doc, the doctor from the hospital comes by, right? Wasn't he a doctor? Uh, Just yeah. to check in, because he comes by, and later on, there's a lady who was once a patient there. Comes by. Just to check up on, like, hey, we haven't seen these... Like, they're referring to the grandparents. We haven't seen these people in a while. Like, where have they been? They haven't stopped by. Like, we're just curious. And it's just weird... That neither of them have mentioned the emergency of the two. These two people have escaped from this place where they probably should not have escaped. There was no, like, there was say, no like
1: radio broadcast or anything that like gets said, turned like, off halfway through. In this small through. town,
0: in this small town, there'd be like, a, okay, well, we gotta we gotta find these people. Like, well, maybe those two people used to come here every day, and now they're not. Maybe there's a connection there. Maybe we need to really check out their house, not, to stop by and be the front door back. Oh, are they here? They're not? Oh, weird. Okay, I'll come back later. So I thought that was weird that the doctor wasn't like, are they okay? We've had two people that they worked with very closely escape. And we're just concerned for everybody in town that this happened. Because like the town they're in seems to be very, very small. And then this lady comes by and she's like, Oh, they were my favorite people. Where are they? Oh, they're not here. And then she argues with, you see them, she argues with the crazy people pertaining to their grandparents as if it's just a normal argument of like, That's weird that you're here in this house, escaped from your thing. You know, like, it doesn't seem like the panic that should actually be there. And suddenly we like, Wait, I know those people. Those people should not be here. Oh, wait, maybe that's what even see these people. Like, it just kind of, it's odd that it's sort of treated so nonchalantly by everybody that it's not, like, a big deal, which I think it would be if, like, two people who have murdered or escaped who shouldn't be are just out, and they're just kind of like, mm, well, like, we looked in one place, and I guess that's it. That's a big hole for me in this movie. Like, it seems weird that a doctor wouldn't be like, I'm very concerned for your grandparents. Two of these people she worked with, they worked with him, escaped. Where are they? I must talk to them right away. Uh, You know, like, it's just sort of, like, because the answer is usually, like, oh, they went for a walk. Like, the person should be, like, I will wait for them. This is very important. And these people are able to, like, go into town and wait at a train station for kids, and nobody seems aware or care that they're, like, the escaped mental patients in this very, very small town. That is all,
1: uh, (laughs) those are all legit concerns. Um, So, one of my biggest problems is with the actual twist, if you can even call it that. Just like, what's the the blandest, most unexciting twist that could happen? Because they set up, I mean, I, I didn't know that sundowning was a real thing. I didn't look that up. But the, the fact they set up these, these grandparents, they're so weird. And like, oh, like, don't leave your room after 930 and that it's a it's a horror movie, and I was really expecting something supernatural, like maybe they're werewolves. They're never werewolves. I want a damn good werewolf movie, man. <laughs> what was the last good werewolf movie? Well, it wasn't Wolf. No, that
0: movie sucks. Except for that one part where Jack Nicholson pees on James Spader and says, yes. I'm just marking
1: my territory. That part's good. Um, A lot of people tell you Ginger Snaps. I did not like that movie. What about, do you like Cursed? The, the Kevin Williamson no, movie? No, I I like that Judy Greer is the werewolf in that movie. And so yeah. she, she, gets, uh, she gets to be the villain in that movie. And uh, that's a lot of fun, especially watching the guy in the werewolf suit who... Just a stunt guy, but he's like, I'm gonna do my job. So he like watched Judy Greer <laughs> to like see how she walked and how she moves. <laughs> yeah, and like she does this thing, like she does this thing with like her neck and shoulder, you know, she kinda like swivels them. And he does that in the werewolf suit. And she's like, I don't do that in the in the making of she's, well, she's like, I don't do that, but she totally does.
0: <laughs> when you watch the movie when you watch this movie you really feel there is gonna be something bigger. Because, like, there's a lot of stuff about the lake and the well and stuff. Like and you think, like, oh, there's going to be some interesting... Something's going on there.
1: No. Yeah, like, maybe yeah. their grandparents were possessed by, you know, evil forest spirits. Or they're possessed by a, a Wendigo or something. <laughs> or, like, oh, like li- like evil lizard monsters from the swamp have come They would have been better. Have come they been been they're, a better movie. they're now wearing the skin yeah. of their grandparents. Yeah. But it's like, no, those people... They're just crazy. They're, wait, those people that you think are your grandparents? Dun-dun-dun. They're not your grandparents. And they're crazy people. They're crazy the people that are mostly nice but act really weird.
0: I think it would have been a better movie if you did away with the whole crazy people killing grandparents and then taking, like, picking the kids up for whatever reason. And you had it where the kids just go to the wrong house and the people who are there are legitimately just, like, insane people. And they just take these kids in because they just have not, not had... not oh, yeah, like, instead of... And they're just staying at this house thinking, this is our grandparents, and not realizing like, no, the grandparents' house is that house. Right there, you just went to the wrong damn house. Gosh, you went to the wrong house. Like instead of
1: going uh, to the grandparents' house, they go to like the house of like the people under
0: the stairs. Yeah, or like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, whatever. We're like, and these people were not expecting anyone to show up and be like, "Hey, how's it going? We're staying here." And these people don't know what to do, and they're just like, "Oh, okay." You know, like we haven't interacted with anyone in like thirty years, other than like teens that come here that we murder. And I think that would have been a better movie. It was like the kids were just stupid and they just went to the wrong house and the crazy little house just went along with it because they didn't know what to do, because they're kind of terrified. Or like, I guess we'll make you food and keep you here. And like that would have been so much better than like this more far-fetched idea of like, they killed the grandparents. They found out that the kids were coming somehow from using their in Facebook, or I got, how did that even work? Like, how does that even connect. I think and then they pick them up and then they kind of go along with it and for, as, like, realistically as far as you can tell, for that week and then just bring them back to the train station or whatever.
1: Um, yeah, like, if the kids hadn't, like, uh, really freaked out on that last night, they would have just gone home. Yeah, I don't think they would have even killed the kids. I think they just would have no. been, like... No, because um, yeah. the, the grandpa, he talks about how... Um, you know, their grandparents would talk about uh, their kids. Their grandparents would talk about the the mom and the grandkids and the fake grandmother. Like, she really was, like, wanted to be a mom and a grandma, but she couldn't because she possibly drowned her kids. Uh, So, like, she just wants to be a grandma. So they orchestrate this escape and... They're, like, they murder the grandparents because they, uh, they kicked out Catherine Hahn And they're, like, well, you don't even deserve to be grandparents. So they murder them, assume the roles of grandparents, and they're going to have a good, nice family weekend. Which, it's really weird and strange. And, like, the grandma... Asks the girl to get, like, get all the way in the oven, oven to, to the clean oven it. And, clean and like, oven. there's all yeah. these, like, red flags that something's wrong. <laughs> but, yeah, they're really, like, strange and bizarre. And it's not pleasant. But, get everything probably would have been just okay. Like, they they were nice otherwise.
0: Yeah, it would have been like you played a weird game of Yahtzee, and then they took you to the train station and yeah, but so instead he murdered, children murdered the, these children.
1: The girl she uh, kills the grandma with. Um, she won't A piece put of the mirror. Yeah, she won't put the camera down, and the grandma shows up behind her. And I don't know if the girl Becca does it on purpose when the camera just like hits into the mirror again and again, breaking the mirror and freeing up a shard of mirror for her to stab the grandma with.
0: Also, why wouldn't you just run and turn the light switch on? It's not like they're on. It's like, you're in the dark room. Just run and turn the light switch on. Yeah. Clearly, it's by the doorway somewhere. Just, like, figure mm-hmm. it out. It's sort of be like, I'm in the dark. It's like it's clearly just a stylistic mm-hmm. part to make it scary because you're mm-hmm. on a video camera and it's dark and you don't know what's
1: going on. Turn the damn light on! Yeah. Uh, the boy kills the grandpa in what is a pretty cool scene for a horror movie but i don't know that it works really in this movie so like they knock out the grandpa and he's down on the floor and he's by the refrigerator and the boy opens up their refrigerator door and closes it on the grandpa's <laughs> head just like again and again and the boy he loses it, man. He goes crazy <laughs> and just, like, screaming, ah! just slamming the door. And it really reminded me of a uh, little Corey Feldman at the end of uh, uh, Friday the 13th, the but final uh, chapter. Won't stop yeah, he he yeah. won't stop killing Jason. Yeah, he won't stop killing Jason. He's just, die, him. die, like, chopping him again and again. <laughs> so that felt... That really reminded me of that. It reminded me of another better movie. And I was like, Yeah, that's cool and man that kid really lost it.
0: It's weird too that so these two kids killed these people. They killed some they each killed somebody. And so then they decide to like end the movie summarizing what happened and having the kid do like a silly rap song about it. But then the whole time you're watching it being like, But these kids like murdered people, whether they were good or bad, doesn't matter. But they have to deal with the fact that they've like, they've taken a life away from this earth, from this existence, and they're just, like, rapping. She's looking in the mirror, like, brushing her hair Well, like, the kid is just, like, rapping about, like, ah, my grandparents are weird. And it was like, no, no, you murdered people. Like, you are equals to your grandparents. They so you each murdered somebody. And you're just, like, it's just, like, nothing to you. And it's like, well, that was weird. That was a weird thing. You think if you made a movie about yourself going through this whole thing... You'd be a little emotional about the fact that you like stabbed an old woman to death. (laughs) Like you were like inches away from her face, and you watched her die, and then you're just sort of like, oh, that was weird. Yeah, (laughs) it's it's a little strange way to wrap it up. Uh, That this kid, also that actor's a mumbler. That kid, he mumbles a lot. I couldn't understand a lot of what he was saying in this movie. Like he's got like a clearly like a speech impediment, like a little lisp or something. But like he says a lot of lines, especially when he's rapping, where I can't understand what he's saying.
1: Did you know, maybe that's because not just him, Ed Oxenbold and the girl Olivia Dejong, D-E-J-A-N-G-E, they are both Australian. Wait, what? They are Australian. Wait, so the little boy? The little boy is Australian. And the girl? And the girl are Australian. What?
0: Huh. Well, they did a good job of never slipping into their exit. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um
0: why cast people from Australia? I don't know, because they were that good, I guess. Really is nobody in this country good enough that you have to go with some Aussies?
1: You know, the the little girl in the nice guys is Australian. It's so weird. Yeah.
0: That's actually pretty talented actor and actress because like I couldn't believably be an Australian in the movie. No,
1: I couldn't do that as an adult, <laughs> let alone as a child.
0: Okay, well, then I won't be so bad. But still, that kid's a little bit of a mumbler. It's hard to kind of tell what he's see a long time. Another plot point that I have a problem with. So these crazy old people are so secretive and good that they're able to murder these grandparents, throw them in the basement. Their bodies are in the basement with all their belongings and all pictures of them just to hide this, to keep this facade going for the grandchildren. And they keep this big secret... But then they lose the idea of keeping a secret where they just hang from a tree the lady who came to visit. Yeah. <laughs> like The lady who came by to check on the grandparents and be like, where are the grandparents? They just had to murder and just hang from a tree in the front yard for all to see. <laughs> and <laughs> so like, they're, they're able to be secretive about this one murder, but this one's like, well, you know, if the kids see it, which they clearly will, because it's in the front yard, this lady hanging from a noose in a tree. <laughs>
1: That's just like, <laughs> like
0: um, well, deal with that. Like, and then also in the movie has a thing where it's like, well, they get crazier and crazier with each day. Why? I don't know. Just for the sake of the movie, doesn't make any sense. And so by the end, they're so crazy they don't understand that. Like, they just hung a woman in the front yard from a tree, even they were great enough. A week or two weeks earlier to like hide these bodies and be more meticulous about hiding evidence in the basement. It was the final day, you know, the final. <laughs> <lie>. <laughs> and like, eh, yeah, basement. Yeah, probably trade. pretty
1: tired. Yeah.
0: And then also, if the guy is so like he's more secretive about his diapers than he is about a lady he murders, so he'll hide his diapers in a barn and supposedly burn them every few days. But they won't burn the evidence of the people they murdered in the basement. They'll just leave that there till X. You know, who knows You know, in the in the in the somewhere in the in the future, and then this other lady will hang from a tree. So he's more or better at protecting his diaper, and they're smart enough to cover each other with their crazy stuff. But they'll just hang a lady from a tree and leave bodies in the basement and like all their belongings. That didn't make any sense <laughs> at all to me. Um, the only part I like in this movie was when the old lady the way she violently eats cookies and then yells the word Yahtzee into the camera. I thought that was pretty good. That's that's a, that's a good part. Um, <clears throat> So this movie was a big hit. It cost
1: $5 million to make. That's crazy. It grossed uh, $65 million in North America and US mm-hmm. and Canada. Worldwide it grossed $98 million.
0: That's a lot of money. So it M- was the N- first
1: M. Night Shyamalan since the village did not receive a Ransom nomination. There you go. Wow. So wait. So that would
0: be Village, The, hap- the, water, laying the, water, happening, the happening, Last a Airbender. After. So five movies got Razanovich, and this is the first one that didn't. Yeah. That's wild. That's a lot of movies in a row. And then this was a comeback, which will then lead to next episode's movie split, which was an even bigger hit. And he's he's on the up and up. So like we thought he's done. Like, especially after after, if you're like, well, this guy's clearly done. He's never going to make a movie again that anyone's going to like. And then The Visit, huge, huge hit. Big, big, big hit. And it helps that it cost nothing. So it made everyone involved a ton, a ton of money. Like, M. 9 came out pretty good. I'm sure he made millions
1: and millions of dollars off of this movie. He allegedly, according to IMDb trivia and can't trust that. <laughs> I don't know who you can. Uh, allegedly, he used his fee from After Earth to uh, finance this movie himself, so he would have, you know, creative control because he hadn't had Final Cut on a movie. Oh, so he like while.
0: solely produced this movie, or for the most part did? For the most part, and then Blumhouse came in there at some point. So then he really made a lot of money. So if it was only cost five million dollars, like here's five million dollars to make a movie that he made, most of that $98 million probably went to M. Night.
1: You'd have to assume. Or at least... At least <laughs> if couple.
0: he had a good lawyer and a good contract. Yeah. Wow. Um,
1: yeah, that's the thing I don't like about found footage horror movies is because of their premise where it's just some guy or girl holding a camera just pointing it around or whatever. That's what the movie has to look like. So it then robs whatever filmmaker... Of any auteurship.
0: Mm-hmm. So and this
1: movie just looks like, and it feels like, another found footage horror movie. To me, nothing really Shyamalan esque other than, I don't know, kids. The kids yeah, have, in this movie. like,
0: there's a few longer shots, which he isn't known for. But nothing on the level of his other stuff. Yeah, there's nothing
1: really about spirituality in it, there, no. which there could have been. But yeah, the, the longer shots, a lot of the like intense uh, character building he does, none of that's really in this movie. So if you just showed me this movie without credits, I don't think I would have guessed it was an M. Night Shyamalan movie. You showed me signs without credits. I think that's an M. Night Shyamalan movie.
0: Yeah. I think um yeah, just sort of like it just doesn't like what his strengths are as a filmmaker just aren't here. They just aren't evident. Like I'm sure it was an interesting challenge to make a film footage movie, but it just feels like anyone could have taken the script and made the exact same kind of movie. Yeah. You know, for the most part. He
1: um allegedly in the uh the making of special features. There were three cuts of this movie. The first cut ended up being more like an art house type movie. And the second cut was more comedic and it played more just like an all out comedy. And so then the third cut was a synthesis of the two. <laughs> so you get this like comedic art house thriller movie.
0: Hmm.
1: And in the making of, I mean, Shyamalan's really kind of uh, upfront with what he wanted to do with this movie and how he felt about his career at that point, that he was second-guessing himself or counting on other people to tell him what he was doing was good. And he had gotten away from the way he used to make movies, so he wanted to do it just like himself and to challenge himself. And it kind of reminds me of yet another Hitchcock comparison of Hitchcock making Psycho, where Hitchcock felt he had done he made North by Northwest as like the ultimate Hitchcock movie. Where do you go from there? Like, well, I'm gonna challenge myself and try to make this full bore horror movie uh, as quick as I can, as cheap as I can, and that feels like that's what Shyamalan did here as almost like an exercise to challenge himself. And it appears to have reinvigorated him. And this does really feel like full bore horror movie. Like The Sixth Sense is ostensibly a horror movie, but there's so much going on there character-wise and emotions-wise that you can show it to someone that doesn't like horror movies and they'll like get caught up Mm -hmm. in the characters and the emotions. If you show the visit to someone that doesn't like horror movies, they're probably not gonna like this one because it's just a horror movie. Like it exists just to try and scare you and thrill you and build suspense. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing much more to it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I, yeah, I didn't like it the first time. I still didn't like it, but I like what it did for Shyamalan. <laughs> I like that it it's a turning point in his latter day career. Yeah,
0: he's not just sucked into making. Garbage, you know, like bloated garbage or even not even being allowed to do that. Like it's nice that he went way, way back to like like this movie's more low budget than even the success. Yeah. So it's like they go back to something that small. It's a lot like uh, when you read interviews or when you watch the commentary making you know, a first Kidsopolis, the Stephen Soderbergh movie. It's like it's like it's interesting to have a filmmaker who reaches kind of a high place. But they still even they need like a recharge. They need like a reminder, or Hitchcock or Psycho of like oh, no, no no like this is this is what making movies can be about. This is what it's for. Like I got too comfortable, and now I need to like break out of that and like kind of start a whole new thing. And I admire people that do that, even if it doesn't work. Like with this movie, <laughs> I respect that it's it's like okay, I could very easily do these Will Smith movies and do these big things. It's kind of like hang out and just kind of be the director. <clears throat> End up like Ridley Scott or whatever, you know, is make garbage. He's bloated garbage. But it's nice to be like, no, I'm gonna challenge myself, I'm gonna do I'm gonna force myself to make a low budget thing, have these set of parameters that I have to make it within, and just do it. And it might be a horrible failure. In this case he
1: was lucky, it was very huge. A lot, of, a lot of people hit. really legit like this movie. A it lot of people started. like this movie a lot. They think it's scary.
0: They like the twist, they they, they think the diaper stuff's insane, like they just they, they freak out for it. I'm not one of those people, you're not one of those people? No. But good for those people. <laughs> and good for M. Night, for tr- attempting to, like, to, to kind of be a little more, like wouldn't it be great if every filmmaker was able to kind of hit a reset button and kind of force himself to do, like wouldn't it be great if Wes Anderson didn't make the same movie all the time? It was like, I'm going to make something a little different. It might not work, and it might be successful, but I'm going to try to like be like, boom. Like, no, I'm not giving you what you expect. I'm going to go, I'm going to take the budget way down. Like, I'm going to get out of the comfortable trailer that I have and, like, make something a little cheaper and a little darker and a little weirder. And I, and I admire, I, so I admire this movie, but I do not like this movie.
1: I feel the same. I can prove.
0: It doesn't work for me. I'm glad it works for other people, but I admire that he hit the reset because I think that's a big thing to do because so many directors can just forever be comfortable. Like, they might make movies that are never hits again, and you can just forever make straight-to-video or straight-to-redbox things and just be like, yeah, okay, whatever. I was, you know, whatever once. But it's like it's like, it's... It's like why I also admire like Francis Ford Coppola. Like that guy, post *Godfather*, never had to make anything ever again. It could just be totally comfortable and just kind of ease his way to any bullshit, you know. But instead, he keeps choosing to make these weird little little movies, which is what he's been only doing for like the last fifteen. Yeah, years. Yeah, Coppola you know? is. Uh, and, uh,
1: <clears throat> he's a peculiar case because he's someone that <laughs> seems to have, have only wanted to make these little interesting... Weird movies. Weird movies, but then has accidentally made some of the biggest... The, the, like biggest Arguably what
0: some consider the greatest movies of all time. Yeah, by accident. And, and then, he didn't
1: really want to do that.
0: But when you watch, like, Twixt or whatever, you're like, no, no, these are movies he actually wants to make. So wanted to make with these weird little things, and I like that he is able... I mean, it's a, lot, it's a lot like the actors, like like when you look at, like, Robert Pattinson or Elijah Wood or some of these people are like, I've made my money in my huge franchise. Now I can do whatever weird
1: things yeah. I want
0: to do. Like Dan- and I don't
1: have to do these the good things. The career of Daniel I'm Radcliffe right. is an amazing thing. Because the dude has Harry Potter money, so he can do whatever. Anything he for wants. the rest till he's dead. It's like, I'm gonna make yeah. a movie where I'm a fighting zombie. Yeah, whatever. Like and
0: it doesn't matter because you're not doing it to eat anymore, cause you're fine. Like you were fine forever. And Emnight is fine forever, and I like that he has only so far been making these kind of smaller, weirder, much weirder than anything he's done stuff. They don't work for me. I don't really like them, but I admire the heck out of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, is this our longest episode? Uh, We're at yes. like 98 minutes? But yes. we covered a TV, a whole TV series and a movie.
1: Yeah, this is a, uh, a bonus Bonus. Bonus episode. And you can
0: always have stopped it after Boyward Pines and then go to work again or your next drive to work. You play the rest of it. But you know, like we're we're busy guys. We got things to do. Like we gotta cram these things together. And we thought we'd be cheating you by only giving you like a 30 minute Boyward Pines episode, so we had to add that extra hour on as a If one
1: of us is gonna drive ten minutes to the other one's house, (laughs) it's it's gotta be worth our while.
0: (laughs) Make it worth it.
1: It literally is like one road between our
0: houses. You have to go up a little bit, but it literally is just like that one long road, and then we're at the other person's house. Like you have the little neighborhood drive, which is like less than five minutes. One road, but you know at that one road, you gotta make it worth it. You gotta make it worth your while. Yeah. Uh, so next time we'll be doing split, which I'm actually very excited. I, we that's another one we saw together in the theater, yeah. and that's the only one we've seen the theater since doing the podcast. We were did like the first. We did, like, the first Three episode episodes, and then we saw that. Yeah. And I'm actually excited to revisit it because I liked half of that movie and the other half I did not like. There are things so I really re- liked
1: about Split, things I didn't, and I I love James McAvoy, man. He's such a good actor. I, re- I
0: recently just watched Starter for Ten. Great movie. Yeah. And he's great in that
1: movie. He's great. He's great. Starter for ten is my delusional <laughs> fantasy of what college was like for me.
0: Uh, you're you're you want to go with the hot girl. You're in love with the punk girl, and you're really smart about an, inane trivia stuff. Yeah,
1: yeah, and it's a movie, <laughs> It's a great movie where, like, yeah, he wants to like. There's the hot girl. Uh, uh, what's her face? Like every British man's fantasy, uh, Alice Eve, and then uh, the like you know, more serious punk girls. Rebecca Hall is, uh, I have a big crush on. And they're both like into him. He's not like, like, oh, like trying to win one over and then trying to win over the other one. No, like they're both like into him from the start. It seems like a low stakes, nothing movie, but it is so enjoyable. And you get a, I highly a recommend nerdy it. Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, nerd- uh, Benedict Cumberbatch with like blonde hair maybe. And um, Mark Gatiss, is the quiz, show, the quiz host, show host and Mark Gatiss and Benedict Cumberbatch, of course, Does Sherlock played brothers. I like
0: to think, and he is also one of the creators and writers of Sherlock. Mark yeah. Gatiss. So I wonder. I like to think that on Starter for Ten, uh, that he was like this weird, awkward guy. He is Sherlock Holmes. In four years, we will accomplish this. Total tangent has nothing to do with our episode, but you know what? James McAvoy, brilliant, great, He's great, uh, and we're gonna. And he is great in Split, and we're gonna talk about more of that next episode. And uh, and then that'll be our final episode, unless uh, am I quick? Uh, look, we will in the future do more. You know, when he makes the, we'll fill uh, it another in. movie, we we'll, like yeah. in a year or whatever from now, we'll give you another episode. But there is another episode coming very shortly. So so pay attention for the split episode, and then we're done. Which is okay. kind of sad. It's sad that this journey is coming to an almost end. Uh, it's been uh, what a year and a half. Yeah, of doing it. That's it's wild. It's crazy. Uh, But you can uh, listen to this podcast
1: many ways AJ, tell them how Many ways, all of uh, If you want to go back And just power through the whole filmography (laughs) uh, We're on Apple Podcasts Formerly known as iTunes It's not called iTunes anymore? Well, okay So on all the podcasts I listen to They used to say Subscribe to us on iTunes at the end but now they say subscribe to us and Apple podcasts Here. Here. and their podcasts okay. are like sponsored by networks and they have like Blue Apron oh. and Squarespace. Uh, do you know? give them money? Hmm. So I have to assume that like they're doing it the right way. So I'll say search for us on Apple podcasts, uh, rate and review us and subscribe if you like what you hear, which hopefully you did. <laughs> and uh, we're also on Stitcher radio, which is, uh, has been fixed and we are now all up to date on stitcher radio you can also listen to us uh just right on our website vmnightshift.com. you can uh stream us there download us there we're on twitter at vmnightshift, and uh if you even want to email us you remember you guys remember email right it seems so <laughs> quaint now it's like slower than texting but yeah. i guess i'll do it yeah, um, vmnightshift at gmail.com. There you go. And, uh, yeah, we will be back for Split, which, yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be a fun one. I'm excited. I'm really... I, I, we'll see if this is true, but I have
0: a feeling I'm going to really like that movie the second time. <laughs> I did not like it the first time, but I have a feeling I'm going to like it a lot. I don't know why. I just have a feeling that I'm going to like see... Now that I know the whole picture... I'm gonna get a lot out of it. I could be totally wrong. We'll see. We'll see where we're at next month.
1: Well, thank you for <laughs> thank you for listening, especially if you've listened to all of the episodes so far. <laughs> and we will be back for at least one more. Yeah, next month with M Night Shyamalan's Spit.
0: Maybe the old Shyamalan twist.